from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. This is Earth Eats, and I'm your host, Kate Young. I think that there's so much that this world has to offer when it comes to flavor and food, and I think we miss out on a lot of it. This week on the show, we celebrate the Brood 10 Cicada and speak with an organizer and chef for a pop-up event called Cicada Mania. Don't worry if you missed it. You can catch the next one in 17 years. Stay tuned for the conversation after the news. I'm Kate Young, and thanks for tuning in to Earth Eats. We'll start with some food and farming updates with Renee Reed. Hello, Renee. Hello, Kate. A federal judge has stopped debt payoffs for Black and other minority farmers. The U.S. Department of Agriculture had planned to start sending out the payments this month. USDA's Farm Service Agency had planned to pay about 16,000 farmers in two phases. The agency discriminated against black farmers for decades by denying them payments needed to build and maintain a farm. A conservative law firm filed the suit claiming the program violated the constitutional rights of white farmers. Zach Ducheneau is the FSA administrator. He says under the new administration, they're trying to change for the better. They have never had an administrator of the FSA that has been in their shoes nor have they had an administrator of the FSA that has spent the last 20 years of their life advocating for producers just like them, getting producers in the door. Dushino says they are going to defend the debt relief program in court and are committed to getting the payments out as planned, despite complaints that it would hurt smaller banks. The debt relief is part of a $5 billion effort to support farmers of color. A consortium of agriculture, business, and healthcare groups are teaming up to try and increase COVID-19 vaccination rates among rural residents. Harvest Public Media's Jonathan All reports. With vaccination rates in rural counties still lagging behind urban centers, there's more focus on changing the message to convince vaccine-hesitant people to get a shot. The effort includes the American Farm Bureau. President Zippy Duvall says farmers and ranchers already know the benefit of vaccinations. We all understand that as farmers and ranchers, the herd immunity really works, but we got to get to that 70% or higher level before we can feel like that we get to that point. Duvall says it's important that rural communities hear encouragement from people they trust, namely local farm organizations, religious leaders, and businesses with a presence in rural areas. Jonathan All, Harvest Public Media. Addressing farm runoff into waterways is becoming a priority in more Midwestern states. At the end of Illinois' legislative session, money was set aside to address the state's nutrient loss reduction strategy, a plan to reduce fertilizer runoff into the Mississippi River. Max Webster is the Midwest policy manager with the American Farmland Trust. He says while Illinois joins other states like Iowa with dedicated funding, the money is only for one year. So we don't have that that long-term dedicated funding like other states do. Um, and so this, this work is really kind of a foundation to build upon to try to get some of those resources in place. He says the money will be used for everything from incentivizing cover crops to increasing nutrient monitoring in waterways across the state. 
Thanks to Harvest Public Media, Seth Bodine, Dana Cronin, and Jonathan All for those reports. For Earth Eats, I'm Renee Reed. If you live here in Indiana, or really anywhere in the eastern half of the United States, you're probably quite familiar with the brood 10 cicada phenomenon. These insects have been underground for 17 years, thriving on tree root sap. And this spring, they emerged to complete their life cycle. And let me tell you, there are a lot of them. And it's been the topic of small talk conversation everywhere I go. They're hard to avoid with their screeching tree song and their clumsy flight. Their eyes are red, their wings are beautifully articulated, and their discarded exoskeletons are serving as crunchy tree mulch underfoot. Listeners, you may have wondered, would we go there? Would Earth Eats do a story on cicada cuisine? The answer is yes, and this is that story. I attended an event, Cicada Mania, at a Southside bar in Bloomington called The Sinkhole. The event was a pop-up restaurant by way of a borrowed food truck and a celebration of the Brood 10 cicada. There was an informative lecture geared for children given by Drury College biologist Stephen Jones, the father of one of the organizers, Aaron Jones. I'm the artist in the family, the musician, and I have a love of nature, which I slowly realize, oh, that's because my dad was very eccentric and loved animals, and he passed that on to me. Cicada Mania is the brainchild of Aaron Jones, who also put together an album celebrating Brood 10, featuring original music from a collection of artists and field recordings of cicadas. You know, I think, just in short, I think we should experience and eat the things that are around us in order to kind of be tied to nature in a way. So so your philosophy is it's just really good to, to eat what's around you, what's plentiful around you. It's not so much about the future of protein is bugs or anything. Yeah, that's not my agenda. And I think having an agenda could be a good thing, but it also just kills the joy. When I uh, was promoting this event, I went to a graduation party and I fixed up some cicadas. Cicadas, I said cicadas. I'll say cicadas in the in the kitchen of the host. I said, "Hey, do you mind if I cook these up with some Cajun spice?" And you know, the kids were the first to go, and then the, the older people slowly started eating them. And they're everybody's surprised. Yeah, they're kind of good. Tastes like crawdad or a little bit of asparagus. This interesting cashew nut taste. But what happened was, I saw three generations of women, and I didn't know them. And the oldest woman turned to her daughter and said. 
what do you think I'll be around again when this happens again? Will I ever taste this again? And I was like, that's it. That's part of the magic that happens when you discuss eating a bug like this that is interrupting our lives. Uh, and it's interrupting the lives of your dogs and cats, too. As you go. Ben Crum was also part of the team. I stopped him to ask about the menu. Yeah, my name is Ben Crum. I'm one of the organizers. So on the menu today, we have a brisket taco. We have a pork taco, a pork sausage, which is a collaboration with Wagon Wheel here in Bloomington, uh, Dr. Jones chocolate cicada crunch ice cream. That's a collaboration with the chocolate mousse and a cake from La Petite Cafe with cicadas in it and on top of it as well, dipped in chocolate. Um, and we also have uh, street corn with a uh, cicada seasoning on, on the top. Everything that I described has cicadas in it. The sausage has the cicadas obviously cooked right in there. Um, there are actually whole, whole cicadas in the sausage. I've tried most of them. The chocolate dipped cicadas are actually really, really good. And I've had the barbecued and smoked ones, which really are amazing because they're, they're uh, dry roasted and then smoked and they really just kind of crumble and melt in your mouth. So those ones are in some of the tacos. And what's your favorite of the dishes you've tried? Definitely the tacos. I, I had the pork taco and that was really good. I'm really excited to try the brisket taco. So Chef Jeremy is from Texas and brisket is kind of his runs in the family. So we actually called it Papa Daddy's Brisket Taco. Papa Daddy is what they call his father. So it's named after him. It's a very traditional Texas brisket. And so I'm really excited about that one. And, you know, I am not the type of person who just goes around eating bugs. So this is uh, an experience for me as well. And it's really amazing. Our chef, Chef Jeremy Chastine, has done an amazing job preparing all of this and getting it for such a large crowd. It's really incredible. The celebration was held outside of the bar on the covered walkway of the strip mall and an outdoor parking lot seating area with umbrellas and festive banners. Given the somewhat urban setting, the place was crawling with cicadas. The trunks of the crabapple trees used in landscaping outside of the dentist office where I parked were covered in adult cicadas and they were landing on people in line and filling the air with their song. The line for tickets snaked all along the edge of Winslow Plaza and on the sidewalk near the road. Folks waited in the hot sun for up to an hour for the chance to sample the dishes prepared with cicadas. And they were handed menus to look over while they waited. I spoke to a table of people who had already dug in, Maya Fraser. 49. What do you have today? So we had a taco with cicadas in it and also the cicada ice cream from the chocolate mousse. So pretty different in how they tasted the taco, like you could really taste the, the cicada and it was actually pretty tasty, but the ice cream just tasted like chocolate. <laughs> what else was in the taco? Uh, there was brisket and onions and then like a salsa. So you felt like you really tasted the cicada, it wasn't masked by the other flavors? So I actually pulled out some of the cicadas to eat them separately so I knew what it tasted like. <laughs> but it, I don't know, it might have been masked if you didn't do that and just be like a nice crunch. So what motivated you to come out here and try this stuff? 
I didn't try them 17 years ago, so I didn't want to miss out on it this time. But it sounds like you were really interested in actually tasting the cicada, that it wasn't just about to say you've done it, you wanted to try it, you weren't squeamish. No, I mean, I, I feel like if you, I don't know, I guess I've, I've traveled a bunch, and so I, maybe it's sort of a chutzpah, like I want to try weird foods, and yeah, I was just excited about it. You know, everyone says that insects are the next kind of protein frontier, so. Anybody else? Our grandson couldn't wait to be here. We want to try it. Oh, yeah? He had the ice cream. Did you like it? Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> I didn't like the texture. He didn't like grandma. But are you, do, do you think it's going to be a good story to tell 17 years from now? Yeah. Definitely. Maybe even tomorrow. <laughs> Get the right audience. What's your name? Mine's Eli Elrod. How old are you? 14. Okay. Are you going to try it as part of your reporting? I don't know. It's a pretty long line. <laughs> One of the guests offered me a sample of the sausage. <laughs> okay. You sure you don't want it? Well, that's one of the bottom. Okay. Pretty much tastes like sausage. <laughs> so did they say the sausage, the cicada was in the sausage as well? I didn't get this very good. Interesting. He suggested I try the roasted cicada solo. So I did. I mean, it just tastes kind of meaty. Three, come on. They're fine. They're just not exciting. I mean, they're just food. What are your two names? Barbara and Joe Spicer. We're from North Vernon, Indiana. Came up just for this. We're seen on it on Facebook. I thought, we got to try that. We tried to do them at home, but we can't catch enough of them to. Do a stir fry, so we thought, let's come up here and try them. Nice Thank you guys so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. I didn't catch your name. Linnea. Did you try them? Yep. Did you like them? Yeah, it tasted good. Mostly like the spices and the carnitas, but cool texture. All right, well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. I decided to get in line for tickets. It was $7 per ticket, and each item on the menu cost one ticket. It took about an hour to get through the ticket line and then the food line. I ended up trying the esquites, which is a cup of Mexican-style street corn featuring a cicada-laden spicy topping. I brought the cicada-smoked sausage skewers home for my family to sample. I am uh, hot and tired. Cicadas are everywhere. I'm going home. A few days later, I sat down in the studio with Jeremy Chastine, one of the organizers and the chef for this pop-up cicada event. Our conversation is coming up after a short break. Kate Young here. You're listening to Earth Eats. 
I wanted to learn more about cicada mania, the ideas that drove the event, and the details behind the menu. I sat down with one of the organizers and the chef. My name is Jeremy Chasteen, and I'm one of the co-founders of All Creatures Yum. I helped with pretty much all aspects of All Creatures Yum, but I focus primarily on the food. I have a history in catering and things like that, and have always been obsessed with food, so it fit. <laughs> with... So you were the chef? Yes, I was the chef. It was me, Aaron Jones, and Ben Crumb. And it came from Aaron Jones. He's been, he's been a friend of mine for a long time. He's very creative. He's always thinking of something new and interesting. And one day he came up to me and was like, you know, we should do a pop-up restaurant serving cicadas. And I immediately was like, I'm on board. So we started meeting and started trying to figure out what, what would it actually look like to do an event centered around cicadas. And it kind of morphed into a more of like a festival than just a pop-up restaurant where we were wanting, you know, we were wanting people to come together and have an experience that they won't get to repeat for another 17 years. And so that that that's really where it, it kind of came from is Aaron's mind and then he and I and Ben meeting and coming up with this plan to pull it off. I grew up in Texas and my dad has always loved food and cooking and he never was afraid of trying new and interesting things. He grew up on a farm, so, you know, they had cows and they didn't waste any of the cows, you know. So I grew up in it with that kind of mindset. So approaching this, I wasn't afraid of eating cicadas. But what I really wanted to do with the event is make something that would be really approachable to everyone. That there wouldn't be this, like, you know hurdle for people to actually eat a cicada. I wanted to make it approachable. I wanted to make it fun and exciting. We ended up collaborating with a whole bunch of people here in town from Peely's Tacos, donated their food truck for us to use at the event. The Chocolate Moose made an ice cream with chocolate-dipped cicadas. Those chocolate-dipped cicadas were made by Cup and Kettle Tea Company from downtown. The Wagon Wheel made us a pork cicada sausage. It just was this, it was, it became more than what we actually ever thought it was going to be. Just with all of the people supporting us and the collaborations, Le Petit made a, a cake for us. And so the day of, we were at, we had all these people supporting us and the sinkhole, you know, offered his venue as a place that we could have it. And, you know, it came together really well. We were able to collaborate with all these other businesses. And we thought, we at the beginning, we thought, you know, okay, we're going to get 100 people maybe interested in eating this bug. And the event comes and over 600 people show up at the sinkhole for four hours. I mean, it was, it was insane. It was a lot more than we expected then the enthusiasm was awesome. Could you say more about the sinkhole, where, where the event was held? Yeah, so um, the sinkhole is this craft beer bar off of Winslow, and it's McKinley's, you know, made this place very, it's like your hometown bar, you know, a place that you can go to and feel at home. And he does, once a month, the first Saturday of the month, he does a food truck event. And so actually, Aaron had gone to an event there when he had a lobster truck. 
and he had tons of people there. And Aaron ended up talking to McKinley for a little bit, and McKinley was like, let's do it together. I'm in, you know. And he was a perfect partner. I mean, he believed in the idea from the very beginning, and he really helped tremendously with the logistics. I mean, he, from providing, you know, porta-potties to helping us have, you know, space for people. I mean, he ran the point of sale, all of that stuff. And it was just great to collaborate with them as well. Why don't we get into some of the details about the food that you yeah. made? Because yep. you, were, you were in the truck. Yep, yep. I was in the truck for four hours or more, and it was a very, very hot day. <laughs> it was 90-plus outside, and inside the truck, I think it was over 100 degrees. When I first got approached by the, um, about this idea, you know, I'd never tried a cicada, and I'd never actually seen Brood 10. I grew up in Texas. This was my first year to ever see Brood 10 come up. And so probably the first week that they were emerging here in Bloomington, Aaron and I were able to get some, and I was able to roast them and actually taste the flavor. And I was I, I thought it was amazing. It's very nutty and a little bit of a, a vegetable quality to it as well. But I knew that it was going to be a hurdle for people. It's a bug, you know, we're, and we're Americans. We're, we're, I guess, we're privileged enough to not have to eat bugs. That's what, how most people, I guess, would look at it. But most of the world does. And in thinking about that, I wanted to make the food. First of all, I wanted I wanted people to experience cicada in different ways. I wanted them to experience the fact that it it doesn't even. I mean, it can be on something and simply be a texture. So we had tacos with smoked or grilled cicadas, and you don't really taste them on there. It's more of just a texture. And I find that that's, that's usually the easiest way for people to handle it is if they don't have to have the whole bug, you know, right in their face. But then it works so well as in desserts as well. It can, be, it, it can go both ways. And I've experienced, uh, experimented at this, time, uh, at this point with, I mean, I've, I've roasted, I've smoked, I've, I've pickled cicadas. I've, I've done almost everything you could possibly do with them. And I find that they they really take on the flavors of what they're made with. They're not overpowering whatsoever. We had a cake from Le Petite. She was able to, I roasted some and then dried them out for her so she could grind them up and use them the same way that you would use cricket flour. We chocolate dipped them, which was in the ice cream. And it's like, I mean, it was basically a crunch aspect to it almost like a peanut like a chocolate covered peanut in an ice cream you know just provides this really nice texture when it came to the the sausage that wagon wheel did they ground up cicadas in the sausage with the pork as well as leaving some whole so you could actually see and get that experience of of tasting the cicada in there and we did esquites, which is Mexican street corn, and in that we we kind of the same method as Le Petit. We ground up the cicadas, dried them out, and used them in the tahine as a spice. So it added a little bit of a nutty flavor to the street corn itself. I think that that's all of the food we had there. We had a VIP event that we were able to kind of experiment a little bit more with, with cicadas. This event, we 
we wanted to keep it more approachable because we knew like tons and you know or we're hoping that a lot of people would come out at our vip event that we did kind of launching all creatures yum we also had this really nice salad where we candied the cicadas and put them on top of the the salad and it was basically like you know like a, a fresh summer salad with candied pecans you know just really lovely i i think if people would get get over the 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 idea that it's a bug and be adventurous enough to to taste it i think that they would love it well let's talk about that a little bit more cuz you yeah. you said you know that maybe we're we're privileged enough that we don't have to but that people all over the world have been eating bugs for yeah yep. yeah yeah so like i said i grew up in texas and my dad was always encouraging us to eat eat things that you know most people wanted i mean i can remember going into as a kid going to my grandparents christmas celebration and a roasted cow head was on the table you know but here in america you know like you know it's got to be it can't just be any cut of meat it needs to be this these specific cuts of meat can't be a bug it needs to be it's got to be pork fish or chicken you know and i think that 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 really limits us quite a bit on on what the world has to offer when it comes to flavors and and yeah and you look at you look at the rest of the world i would i i mean i've loved oaxacan cooking for a long time and they use mealworms and grasshoppers and crickets in many of their dishes and i do think that it does come from the fact that we're a very wealthy country and most people don't have to go outside of their comfort zone in what they eat, which I think is a shame. I think it does. I think that there's so much that this world has to offer when it comes to flavor and food. And I think we miss out on a lot of it. I don't know if I agree with you about the about the privilege and and don't have to eat bugs. I really think that it's a cultural thing. I think that there are things that we eat that some cultures might find really gross. And there are plenty of people who, you know, would never eat a shrimp because right, it's right, like a bug right. or, you yep. know. Yep. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I do think I do think culture plays into it. I do think, though, that that Americans, when it comes to food, that we do waste a tremendous amount. And I do think that there's something to be said about the the idea that that this world has much more than what we we use <laughs> and you know we push we push our resources to the limit because of it I, I think that there's good arguments to be made for the sustainability of certain insects in our diet there's a there's a reason why the UN pushes for millworms now to be eaten they're just it's a very sustainable source of protein for the world well and in this moment, they certainly are plentiful, the cicadas. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. this place and this time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right Right now. Yeah. And when it comes to cicadas, I, I do, I would say, you know, if you have, you know, like we, we, we've warned people not to eat them if they have shellfish allergies because they do, they, you know, there's the FDA is warned about that. It also is, it is similar to other shellfish in that it contains trace amounts of mercury. So it's not something that people should just be <laughs> eating tons of every day. But I think for, for this moment right now, it's a good way to celebrate and enjoy this, this unique thing that we're not going to get to see for another 17 years. 
If you're just joining me, my guest is Jeremy Chasteen. He's a co-founder of All Creatures Yum and the chef for the Cicada Mania event, which took place in Bloomington, Indiana on June 12th. After a short break, we'll have more from our conversation, including an explainer on the best time to harvest the cicada for culinary purposes and why. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Earth Eats. This is Kate Young. I'm speaking with Jeremy Chasteen, who organized an event celebrating the Brood 10 Cicada, which emerges en masse every 17 years. He's the chef who developed the recipes for the Cicada Mania event, and in the process, he learned a lot about Brood 10. A question I have is yeah. how, what, at what stage did you harvest the cicadas? Yeah, so we had a team of people who Aaron Jones worked with his dad, who's a biologist, and we talked to a chef who 17 years ago had had used cicadas. And so we did our research with biologists, entomologists, and chefs who had actually worked with them before. And what they told us is that um, the best time to harvest them is when they are first emerging from the ground as, as a nymph. So harvesting them when they're coming out of the ground or when they first have come out of their exoskeleton. So this takes like literally minutes. They come out of the ground, they crawl up a tree or find a place where they can latch on to. And then within seconds, they're starting to emerge from their exoskeleton and then flapping their wings to kind of harden out. And so any time between that period is when we would harvest them. The adults, you can eat the adults, but they are, if somebody has a hard time eating the nymph, they're really going to have a hard time eating the adults. They're much bigger at that point. Their, their flavor is much more intense, and they are a lot crunchier, <laughs> if that makes sense. Did you try them at that stage? Like, I do have. Do you know the I flavor did. difference? Yep, yep. I was just curious because you had said that they don't have a really strong flavor, but I was wondering, since you had tried and it had a more intense flavor, what is that flavor like? Um, it's, it's hard to explain. I guess it's, it is. I, I would say that the adult was a little bit more, you know, because I've heard people talk about cicadas tasting like shrimp. I don't get that taste at all from the nymphs. I mean, I get, I get the nutty flavor, but I don't get that shrimp but with the adults, I could kind of see that. It's just a little bit stronger. And you also, like when, when they're nymphs, when they're first coming out, you don't really have to 
worry about whether it's a male or a female because they're both they both still have the looks like soot in their bodies and that's you know they're what they've been eating for 17 years but when they are adults the the female has the eggs the male is hollow and his hollow body is what he uses to make the noise so all the noise that you hear from the cicadas is the male basically like you know a drum beating so that he can signal to the females to come and so you really if you if you were going to eat the adult you'd really have to try and find the females because the males are just it's just like a it's hollow and doesn't have much in it at all what do they eat and when yeah so i don't know the exact name for it i was told it many times but it's um basically the way i look at it is that they're eating the sap from the tree uh, the roots you know so and it's actually fairly interesting. So when a tree puts on its buds, like when it starts to, you know, leaf out after the winter, that signals into the tree to, to you know, um, send this stuff into the root system. And that's what the cicadas are not only eating, but also tracking time with. At least that's what they assume, which is why you sometimes have, like four years ago, brood 10, summer brood 10 came up a bit early. And it was because we'd had warmer winters and some of the trees had a false bloom. And so they signaled in their heads, oh, it's it's 17 years. Let's go, guys. <laughs> but they are. They're basically eating the, the nutrients from that are in the roots on the tree. They're not like locusts. They're no, they don't have teeth. They're not going to go and eat your flowers or your garden or anything like that. They have no teeth. They're actually pretty defenseless animals. <laughs> they are... They're clumsy flyers, as you know, if you've been walking around Bloomington at all, and they, they hit you in the face as you're walking. Um, so they don't really have much of a defense system. They're fascinating creatures. I love it. And that was the other thing that I forgot to say is that for me, one of the biggest reasons I did it was or did this event with Aaron and Ben is I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, and they're going to be in their 20s the next time this brood 10 comes out and I just am sitting there thinking you know I want I want them to remember I want them to remember this year I want them to remember what happened you know and it's just this sweet thing that you can kind of measure your life by brood 10 I'll be almost 50 the next time they come out there's this lovely quote by an entomologist in the 1800s and he was he was much older he's probably in his 70s or 80s but he talked about hearing Hearing the last notes of the cicadas, he had this melancholy thought, would I live to hear them again? And I just think that I just think that there's this romantic, poetic aspect to the cicada, which lends itself to both to, to all forms of art and creativity, which includes food in my mind. One of the things that I've heard people talking about is how there there's so many of them. And that's kind of their survival strategy. Yeah. And that, yeah. that everything's eating them. I mean, yep. all the yep. birds and squirrels and whatever are, yep. are eating yep. them. But Even my uh, dog. Yeah, my cat catches them, but she doesn't really eat them. And, and that after a while, even the birds and these other animals get kind of sick of them. Mm -hmm. But I've also noticed the effect that it's had on the ecosystem yeah. around here because I'm a, I'm a berry forager. Mm. And... Last year, we had a, a late frost, and it yep. killed a lot of the blossoms. And so there were many things that we didn't have that we normally have 
from, um, you know, fruits to nuts. And, and it really limited what the birds had to eat and probably yeah, squirrels yeah. as well. And so they were eating things that they don't normally eat. Yep. Oh, and they were devouring cherry trees and devouring service berry yep. trees, you know, things that did produce. They were completely <laughs> yeah. get, getting yeah. all of it. And this year they've had so much to eat, like service berry trees are untouched. And yeah, yeah. Like, so I, I, that's yeah. just something I've observed from my own, you know, world of, of food that is, has just been interesting to see. Well, and it makes sense. When when else do these they have an endless supply of of food like this? And as far as I understand, a a, a pretty decent yeah. <laughs> form of protein for them. And no, it's it's it is interesting to to watch nature do these kinds of things. It's it's really fascinating and amazing, the beauty of it all. One of the things that I enjoyed most about it was that. It wasn't something that I could just look up and be like, um, where's a recipe for for this? You know, I actually had to use my, you know, like actually had to try and be creative. With this, it was able, I was able to just try and use things that I'd learned throughout my life and flavors that I liked. And so I think that the creativity side of it was something that I loved being able to test my skills and my knowledge with something that I still think that there's plenty more that I could do with cicadas. You know, I've still got ideas floating around in my head. I think that that was probably the most enjoyable part of the food was just trying to figure out ways to use the cicada that would be pleasant and and good. And I have I've had I've had plenty of successes and plenty of failures <laughs> with the cicada. Can you talk about something you made with them that you were not happy with? Um, so this one I am I'm I have mixed feelings about is is the pickled cicadas. It's 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 a it's a pretty big um I think it's the most um I don't know how to put it. The the it was the hardest one for me to eat. Like the roasted cicadas, they were they they had good texture. Their flavor was good. The pickled ones, they tasted fine, but I don't know. I guess maybe it's just the idea of eating a pickled bug is off-putting in my mind. <laughs> yeah, or maybe the texture because because a pickle is yep. is not dried out exactly, and, and it, it wasn't and, crunchy yeah. anymore. It was it was like, I mean, imagine like a like a boiled peanut, you know. Yeah, which is an odd texture already. It is, yeah. Um, but I think that that is one that really comes to my mind because it's a way to preserve them. Yes. And so you yeah. could have the seventeen year. You know, you I, could I still have... do. I have I have probably five or six cans of pickled cicadas right now with just different trying out different mixtures and things like that. I really, you know, I have a uh, a kimchi with cicadas in it, um, and used it as kind of a mixed with the chili powders and things like that. I haven't tried it yet. I think it's going to be good. I, I, I don't think that it's going to be overpowering at all. I imagine that the kimchi will completely take over any yeah. cicada flavor that it, that it has. Besides having burnt cicadas, <laughs> most of them have turned out, most of them I've enjoyed. There was a brittle that I did with a whole cicada that wasn't that wasn't good at all. 
you have to be careful. You have to be careful about how you cook them. They really like they, and you learn it as you go because, like I said, there's not really a, a, a cookbook online for how to cook cicadas. But I've told people that the best way that I've come up with for doing it simply is to you know you brine them, make sure they're washed very very well. They you know they're they're coming out of the dirt, so they've got dirt on them. Oftentimes, if you're picking them up, you know, you'll have leaves and grass and stuff like that. So you just want to make sure that you clean them very, very well, get all of that stuff off of them. I'd also say make sure what I did, and this was recommended by uh, other entomologists as well, is that do be mindful of where you're harvesting them from. Try not to harvest them too close to the city or places that they use pesticides and things like that on their trees. And so we did it all in forests. We, we tried to stay away from places that were likely to have any kind of things in the soil. I don't know how much that would affect the cicada itself, but in my mind, it was important for us to do that. So make sure you clean them, brine them in just a very standard brine. Then I boil them, dry them out for about 20 minutes, and then roast them at like, you know, 375 or 350 for about 10 minutes and enjoy. And so you have to be careful to not overcook them? Is that what you're saying, to not burn them? Yeah, yeah. What's the kind of... So if you do them too... So, you know, like I was saying, if they have that... If you did a cross-section of of a cicada, you can see what looks kind of like, I guess, their version of fat. It just looks like soot, like what you would feed your birds inside of them. And if you do that too... If you do it too slow, that melts out. And so then you're just left with a bunch of hollow cicadas in your on your pan. If you do it too hot, they're gonna they burn really really fast, especially the outside of them. So it's there's this ideal temperature where you can actually you know cook them and that soot won't run out and and that's the best. It's it's but it took a lot of practice before I realized what was going on and kind of figured out the recipe, the best way to cook them. That's really interesting. That sounds like a good, uh, a good challenge. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. And that that you know you had to find it out through trial and error. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I don't know, like I I've had grasshoppers, I've had crickets, but I don't know how similar they are. I've never roasted my own grasshoppers. It's always been already done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never harvested my own grasshoppers. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I was really impressed with is that it was this pop-up event, so you guys aren't an established restaurant. You didn't know how many people were going to show up. Yeah. And it seemed like you had plenty to go around and that you didn't run out. I mean, there, some of the things maybe ran out faster than others, yeah. but like, I, tell me if I'm wrong, but you were probably pretty much able to serve everyone who came. And yeah, how did yeah. you plan for that? <laughs> yeah, so um, like I said, I've done catering for the last eight years. Um, so I kind of have a good idea when it comes to if you tell me 400 people are coming, I usually can – I'll have plenty. What I did was I just I just estimated <laughs> how many people that I thought were going to come. You know, I thought in my head that the realistic number was 400 but there was also this part of me that was like, it could be a lot more than that, <laughs> you know. So I made enough for the amount of people that were coming or that ended up showing. At the end of the day, 
had we stayed open 30 minutes longer though we would have ran out of everything on the truck we were we were getting really really close thankfully though we made it until the until eight it was also i mean i i had never worked on a food truck before i'd never done that kind of you know catering is completely different than than a food truck and then running a food truck is completely different than running a food truck for 600 and plus people yeah i mean it was a steady stream of people it it didn't stop it at didn't. all no. so it's not like you're hanging out and you get a little time somebody comes up and places an order it was it was not yeah. stop yeah i think i got to step off the food truck once at 4:45 just to go and get everybody some water I think there was maybe a little bit of a hold up getting people through the point of sales, but as soon as I got back on the food truck, after that, it was never it was nonstop. It was it was amazing though. I, I felt I felt like the event. I just was very I felt very blessed in the way that it happened, and was overjoyed with you know excitement to see it it go as well as it did. I mean, I was when I saw the lines, I was like, okay. I'll say a prayer <laughs> and get going. <laughs> One thing that I observed that, that really I've been thinking a lot about since I was there, before I left my house, I was sort of dreading that I would probably have to try some <laughs> because I just feel like that's, that, that's a role that I need to play. Yep. But yep. I didn't want to. And I was wondering if I could find a way out of it. Once I got there, I mean, I really wasn't there 15 minutes Mm -hmm. before I was ready to pop one in my mouth, and it wasn't something I was cringing or squeamish. Mm -hmm. It was just, it it was what was happening in this space. And to me, that just speaks to the power of culture and Mm -hmm. that what culture does is it normalizes things. And so suddenly I was in this environment in which what was happening was cicada eating. And so, you know, it it, it was it, since that's what everyone there was doing, mm-hmm. the expectation was so powerful that I was just ready to do it. And I didn't it was no big deal. That's interesting. And it was interesting. And I was interested. I wasn't like I wanted to actually get the full. What does this taste like? Mm-hmm. What is the texture? You know, yeah. like I, I wasn't trying to just say, OK, I did it, but I didn't really taste it. You yeah. know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I, so you guys created this little mini culture in awesome. in a very short period of time. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but I do know I do know that a friend of mine came and she brought her sons because she thought that I mean she knew that they would be into it, and but she and her daughters were not going to eat them. But she ended up doing it, and she ended up liking them. <laughs> you know, it was. So I think you're right. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but it does almost like when you have that that big of a group together and it's all centered around this one thing, it does normalize it and and make it less scary because you're you're doing it all together. <laughs> yeah. And I think um yeah, it would sort of be I'm sure that there were people who ended up there, like you said, the, the the people you were talking about that weren't planning on eating it. You would sort of feel like, man, I had this chance to do this thing that I could talk about later, and I didn't yep. do it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> the pressure of it. 
Do you think you'll be doing more pop-up restaurant type things, or was this really just about the cicada? So <laughs> that's interesting. I I told my wife as as I was going into it, I was just I was ready for that day to be over. And then I woke up Sunday morning and I was sad that it was over. And, and I do think that it it has to do with the creativity. You know, I'm not. I mean, I, I run a business. And I can write you a business plan, but I can't write you a novel. I can't write you a poem. I can't play a, an instrument, but I've always been good at cooking. And I think it is the way that I can express my creativity. And so I don't know. I, I hope to do some more things. I know that I, I've been thinking about it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I would like to do more things. This world is filled with flavors that we can enjoy and I think that it's fun to explore them and and be creative with them some of them are new and scary but <laughs> yum nonetheless <laughs> you've been listening to a conversation with Jeremy Chasteen he's one of the founders of All Creatures Yum and an organizer and chef for the Cicada Mania event in Bloomington, Indiana the song you're hearing now is Signals Cicada Brood 10 2021 by Aaron Marshall from the album Little Lamb, Little Cicada put out by Aaron Jones of the band American Pirates Find links to this work at eartheats.org Earth Eats team includes Aobon Binder, Mark Chilla, Toby Foster, Abraham Hill, Peyton Knoblek, Josephine McRobbie, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Special thanks this week to Jeremy Chasteen, Aaron Jones, Ben Crum, Maya Fraser and Linnea, Barbara and Joe Spicer, Eli Elrod, and Dirk Fraser. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Additional music on the show comes to us from the artists at Universal Productions Music. And for this episode by Aaron Marshall. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Mm-hmm.